This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Nothing is ever the same after a person becomes aware of God. Life may be going along fairly well, or your life may be falling apart all around you. Whatever the situation you may be in, when you become aware of God's active interest in you and His willingness to become directly involved in your life, nothing is ever quite the same thereafter. In ordinary conversation, there's a word that most people take delight in hearing. It's like music to our ears. That word is our name. According to researchers, calling a person's name is the best way to get their attention. When you're trying to wake someone up from their sleep, call their name, and more times than not, they will wake up, no matter how quietly you call their name. If someone is not paying attention to you, simply say their name and their attention will come back to you. There's something about hearing our name that rivets our attention to the moment. You know how it is with a loving mother who has a son named John Henry Smith, just to pick out a sample name. If she calls John to come, but he doesn't respond, what will that mother say? John Henry, come into this house right now. Don't you feel a bit closer to the person who calls you by your name rather than the one who refers to you as, hey, you, or what's her name, or what's his face? There's something warm and personal about another who speaks to us and calls us by name. Ancient cultures have understood the importance of a person's name much better than we do. For us, our biggest concern in naming our children may be to avoid offending anyone in the extended family. But for the ancients, naming a child involved calling out that child's destiny. In a former pastorate where I once served, I knew of a family which had quite a few children, about 10 or so, I think. Apparently, the parents decided this was enough. But as you might guess, there was another child on the way, a boy. So when he was born, the name they gave him was, and I'll spell it, N-O-M-O, -O. No Mo. That was really his name. The naming of Isaac, John the Baptist, Peter, even our Lord Jesus, all these names pointed to the significance of the child that was being named. There's something about a person's name that carries the essence of that person. I, I just wonder sometimes if that's why they named me Kirk, which means church. In John's Gospel, chapter 20, there's a story of what happened on that third morning after the burial of Jesus. Take your Bible sometime. I won't take the time right now to read it, but John chapter 20 starting with verse 10 and go through verse 18. That's the story about Mary encountering Jesus there in the garden. Mary thought it was the gardener. But when Jesus spoke her name, Mary, 
There was simply no other word that would do. This was Jesus who's speaking, not the gardener. It was the one who knew her best, calling out her name, her destiny, calling for her full attention at this moment. This is the moment when Mary became a believer, really. The moment Jesus called her name. Now, if it is important when others call us by our name, then I think it must be doubly important when someone calls us by our name twice. There's a rather interesting situation which occurs several times throughout the scripture when God calls people by their name, not once, but twice. You remember the story of the call of Samuel? This young boy who had been given to the service of the Lord in the temple was asleep one night when he heard someone call his name. This happened three different times. And each time young Samuel went to old Eli the priest, thinking it was he who had called him. But Eli understood that it was the voice of God that Samuel had heard. And so Eli told Samuel what to do the next time he heard that voice. And in 1 Samuel 3, verse 10, we read, And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. Another example, in the 10th chapter of Luke, there's a story of Jesus' visit to the home of Mary and Martha. Mary sat at Jesus' feet and listened attentively to his words, but Martha stayed busy in the kitchen. Finally, she got so upset that Mary was not helping her with the chores, so she asked Jesus to ask Mary to come and help her. Luke 10, verses 41 and 42, let me read it. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful of and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken from her. A bit later on in that same gospel, Luke records that after Jesus had instituted the Lord's Supper with his disciples, those men began arguing among themselves as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Oh, what a tragic turn of events, that their primary concern should be in this direction, immediately following such a high moment of, of observing the Lord's Supper with Jesus. Apparently, Jesus saw through to the heart of each of those disciples, though. And Luke records that Jesus addressed Simon Peter. This is Luke chapter 22, verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Another example of the use of a double name is one which you may have already recalled. It's the story of the conversion of Saul on the road to Damascus. Acts chapter 9, verses 3 and 4. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? But there's yet one other passage in the Bible that I want to call to your attention. 
wherein God called an individual by repeating of his name. This is found in the third chapter of Exodus, the call of Moses, and what a fascinating call this is. Just a bit of background. You know Moses was keeping the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led that flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Now, I cannot honestly say that I know all that's involved in the use of this double name in these passages, but I do have a feeling somehow that there must be a special reason for it. Several years ago, a newspaper ran a photograph of a very dramatic event. It was a picture of a 10-year-old boy leaping into the arms of his daddy as the boy came from an airplane at the Kansas City Airport. This young boy had been severely burned about a year before when he had thrown paint thinner on a backyard barbecue fire. His death was almost certain as 65% of his little body had been burned. But God had worked another miracle through the skillful hands of the people at Brook Medical Center in Texas. Not only was this young boy snatched from the jaws of death, but he was now restored to normal active life. And today he was coming home. <clears throat> the picture in the paper had a caption of only four words up under that picture, but they were words filled with emotion of reunion. The four words, Daddy, Daddy, Son, Son. So, what happens when God calls your name? Well, I can tell you what my first response is. It's frightening. I imagine most of you who take seriously the matter of school and studying homework will understand what I mean when I say that I was not always the best scholar around during my high school and college days. That, that same pattern continued during my seminary days as well. Frankly, I was never good at foreign languages. In high school, I wanted to take Latin, but I never could get my schedule worked out right to take it. So when I went off to college, I looked forward to studying a foreign language. They said that Spanish was one of the easiest of all the foreign languages, so I took Spanish for two years. Or perhaps I should say that I was exposed to the teaching of Spanish for two years. <laughs> I passed, but I won't tell you my grades. And then after college came the seminary. And although the study of Greek and Hebrew became optional in later years, those two languages were both required when I came through. Oh, how well do I remember how my Greek professor used to call on people to recite in class. He was an absolute master of suspense. 
I'm quite certain he took lessons from Alfred Hitchcock. He would not call the name of the individual or the student and then ask the question. Oh no, that was the humane way. Rather, the professor would ask these complex questions and then would say, now who can answer this for us? Let's see. Then he would look down his roll book at the names. Let's ask Mr. And then he would pause for what seemed like an eternity. My heart would totter on the brink of cardiac arrest during this time. And then sometimes I would hear him say, let's ask Mr. Lawton. Most of the time, since I knew few of the answers, I'd be scared to death. I don't think Moses was exactly calm and cool about it all either when God called him Moses, Moses. And why is there fright when God calls our name? This brings us to a second thing that often happens when God calls your name. Sometimes the call is to a difficult task. When God called Moses, he said, Moses, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. Now, he was not calling Moses to an easy task. He was not inviting Moses to an afternoon picnic. There are two things we need to remember about how Moses saw this call from God. One, although we know now that the Pharaoh who had tried to have Moses killed as an infant, that Pharaoh was now dead. Moses probably did not know this. After all, he had spent the past many years on the backside of nowhere, tending the flock of sheep which belonged to his father-in-law Jethro. Moses had not kept up with the news. He had not heard the instant news of the death of the Pharaoh on radio or TV or on the internet. Moses was not able to pick up the morning paper to see what was going on. A second thing, since Moses did not know that that same Pharaoh was now dead, his call was not just to a difficult task. As far as he was concerned, it was a call to go back to Egypt, to his own execution. One preacher put it this way, only when the goal seems unreasonable to you are you coming to the place where God wants you to be. God's call to Moses was completely overwhelming. It was a call to a task which was not just difficult, it was totally impossible. Many of you know the name of Dr. Charles Stanley, well-loved preacher and Bible teacher from First Baptist Church, Atlanta. He made this statement, only those who see the invisible can do the impossible. And this brings us to the last truth I want us to remember when God calls your name. Here is the word. Along with the call of God comes the promise of God's presence. In Hebrews eleven twenty-seven, we read that Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. In Egypt, across the Red Sea, through the desert, amid the untold hardships, trials, rebellions and wars, Moses endured. Towering over the power of Pharaoh, Moses could see the invisible. Hovering over the waters of the Red Sea, 
Moses could see the invisible. Through the sands of the desert of Sinai, Moses could see the invisible. In the midst of the rebellious, faithless Israelites, ready for mutiny against Moses, he could still see the invisible. Only those who see the invisible can do the impossible. Look with me once again at Exodus chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. Come now, therefore, I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee. When God called Moses, Moses answered, Who am I? And what did God say in response? Why, he said, Why, Moses, sure you can do it. You've got it in you. I believe you've got enough nerve to go to Pharaoh. You're able to get the job done for me. Get ready and go on. Oh, no. God did not say anything of the sort. In fact, God completely ignored Moses' question. Moses was trying to put the spotlight on himself, on his ability or the lack of it. But God said, in effect, Moses, it does not make a particle of difference what you can or cannot do. That's immaterial to me. The issue is, I will be with you. You see, it was a question of authority, not of identity. And so then Moses asked again, well, when I come to those people who are going to be delivered and they ask me, who sent you, to, uh, who sent you here? What am I going to say, God? That's sort of like a person who comes to the preacher and sits down in his office and says, Pastor, I have this friend who has a problem. And the more that person talks, the more you know it's not some friend. It's the one talking who has the problem. But he wants to hide that fact. Moses says, Lord, what if they ask who you are? Moses really wanted to know for himself what God was really like. And God answered in those words which cannot be adequately translated into English. God said, I am that I am. The Hebrew language has no past, present, or future tense. Really, it is saying, I continue to be in the now forever. God's divine presence was promised to Moses, and that was the real issue, not Moses' ability to do the job. Oh, how often do we focus our attention on the wrong subject? God continues to reach out to us and love us because we are His creation, not because of our accomplishments or our own worthiness. During a counseling session in a hospital, a patient was asked the question, Why do people like you? Why is it? The patient responded, Well, because I have a beautiful home, I provide for my family, and I have excelled in my various business pursuits. And then the counselor asked him, Well, do you have any feelings of being loved simply for yourself? and not for the things that your skills have provided? The patient was silent for some time, and then 
he began to cry. God said to Moses and to you and me, I love you not for what I can get out of you, not for what you're able to do for me. I love you because of who you are yourself. And I love you so much that I promise never to leave you. When I call you, I'll be with you. I once heard of a little boy whose ball went over the fence into the yard next door. And the older boys over there taunted him by refusing to give his ball back to him. The little fellow came into his own house dissolved in tears. In order to teach his son self-reliance, the father sent him back out to try to get that ball back on his own. After one failure and then another, the father kept sending the little boy back time after time. But the little boy kept coming back home, crying his little heart out. When it was obvious this strategy was not going to work, the father said, Okay, son, I want to make one more try at it. I want you to make one more try at it, except this time I'll go out there with you. On hearing those words, the little boy wiped his tears and squared his shoulders and marched out with a new spring in his step. He went straight up to his antagonizers and he said, I have come for my ball, and this time you'd better give it to me, because I brung my daddy with me. Can't you hear God's voice saying, not only to Moses, I will be with you, but also in the words of his son Jesus, God saying, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come unto you. I'll give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Yes, when God calls your name, you may be scared to death because you see your task to be so difficult. But remember, God has promised to be with you. And what applies to us individually also applies to us in a larger sense, as a church, as a nation. That double name call was not limited to by, in the Bible to persons. You remember Jesus stood over the city of Jerusalem one time and he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Yes, we are living in difficult days today, aren't we? Uncertainty, threats to our beliefs, health problems, pandemic, loss of loved ones. As the old hymn says, change and decay and all around I see. But God always assures us of his unfailing presence and his promise to our prayer for him to abide with me. Oh God, that's what we want right now. We pray that you will give each of us that calm assurance to know that you will never leave us. Whatever the call may be, when you call our name, you're right there. Thank you, God, for that wonderful promise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.